Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Once more, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us through it, that we might gaze on the Lord Jesus and live. For we ask in his name. Amen. Well, what a privilege to be able to share in a service like this, nine baptisms. And I have to say, I did put my, my forefinger in the water, and when I'd broken through the ice, it was cold, it really was. I was looking at the shocked look as the, those baptised came up. And Paul just apologised for calling me, what was it, trotter? And I said, I've never seen fools and horses in my life, so I just presume it was an overwhelmingly good compliment, and I'll, I'll take it as that. So the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified, he was buried and now risen. So he's alive again. And for 40 days he goes around showing himself alive, as as Luke calls it, by many infallible proofs. One of the great things that Christians have loved to do over the centuries is look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And it is overwhelming. And yet, Luke is very honest. In verse 41, we read, some did not believe because they were amazed, they marveled, they had joy, but it almost seemed too good to be true. Somebody would die and then rise. But the scriptures in the Old Testament and the Lord Jesus himself throughout his life continually spoke about the fact he would die for our sin, be buried, and then rise from the dead. Jesus had been sort of underlining what the Bible had said. Of course, at the time of Jesus, they had what we call the Old Testament. It was divided into the law, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Three divisions in that Hebrew Bible. And do you know, in each of those divisions, there was the prophecy through picture, through command, through, through, the, through, through the words of prophecy that Jesus would indeed die and die for our sins. And now... For the very last time, he's with his followers. Shortly, he's going to ascend to heaven. And he spoke. We only have a snippet of what he says here. In Matthew's gospel, we we read the the emphasis about going into all the world and preaching the gospel and baptizing people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching them to observe everything that he commanded. In Mark's gospel, the emphasis is go to every individual, every creature, and tell them the gospel. In, 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 in John, he emphasizes the fact that Jesus would leave his peace. And, and Luke picks up the, the part of Jesus' message, his final message to the believers, where he, as it were, outlines God's agenda for the world. So what is God's plan for the world? What, what has God got on his mind for the day and age in which we live? Well, Jesus spoke about his sufferings, And then he spoke about his resurrection. Then he spoke about repentance and forgiveness. And then the coming of the Holy Spirit. Actually, if you carry on reading and say, read the writings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you'll find the same sort of emphasis, a a, a strong sort of underlining of the fact that Christ would suffer for our sins according to the scriptures, that he would rise from the dead and this word would be preached. So I thought what we'd do 
on this baptismal evening is just focus on the priorities of the Christian message, the sort of central core. First, he spoke about his sufferings. Thus, as it was necessary that Christ was to suffer. That seems strange. We want to obliterate from our minds suffering. But remember, Jesus is saying this just a matter of weeks since he was hanging on a cross in agony, in shame, in humiliation, as he carried on himself the weight of the world's uh, world's sin. Jesus is sort of reflecting on his death. Of course, in that day and age, it wasn't that uncommon for people to be crucified. When the Romans invaded Jerusalem in AD 70, the great Jewish historian of the day, a man called Josephus, describes in detail an awful scene that all along the Mediterranean coast, there were hundreds of thousands of little fishing boats with their, with their masts. And he says, on so many of them were crucified Jews. At the siege of Babylon in 522 AD, Darius condemned, can you imagine this, 3,000 captives to die on a cross. BC, Alexander the Great had inflicted great vengeance on the city of Tyre, which had so resisted his attacks, and and he condemned 2,000 people to be crucified. So Jesus being crucified, awful as it is to us, in some ways wasn't that unusual except... The suffering of Jesus, described by the law, the prophets, and and, and, and the Psalms, the suffering of Jesus was for our sin. It wasn't just physical suffering, terrible as that is. It wasn't just emotional suffering. You know, the, the, the people had once forsaken everything to follow Jesus. Now they forsook him and fled and some denied him. But it wasn't just the physical and emotional suffering. It was spiritual suffering. This is Jesus. Himself God. Himself at one with the Father and the Holy Spirit throughout the eons of eternity past. Now going to a cross and hanging there. And as the weight of the world's sin is laid on him, and think about this, this is your sin and my sin, all our rebellion, all our defiance, as it's all laid on him. Do you remember he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus entered into his sufferings, he prayed about those Roman soldiers who were executing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he went out of his sufferings and gave himself to death, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But as he hangs there taking on himself the world's sin, he doesn't speak to his father as his father, but my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow, in a way that our finite, fickle minds will ever, never be able to fathom, somehow there was a separation between him and his Father and the Holy Spirit. We'll never plummet the depths of that. But he was forsaken by God so that we might be forgiven and never forsaken by God. Sin is serious. You know, we can call it whatever we want. Depravity, cruelty, wickedness, evil, egocentricity, wasting our personality. But sin is serious, so serious that Jesus came from heaven to earth, to a cross, to die out of love for you and me, to pay for our sin. I remember 
some years ago, perhaps about two years ago, on Question Time, you know, the Thursday night 10.30 programme on BBC One, chaired by David Dimbleby. There were two panellists, both of them atheists, both of them homosexuals who were sort of militant against God because of their, their views of what God says about their lifestyle. David Starkey, historian, as I say, atheist, and Chris Bryant, militant atheist, member of parliament for Merthyr Tidville. And they were talking about various issues, and then Chris Bryant came out with this statement. He said, there is no such thing as evil. And quick as a flash, David Starkey turned and he just said to him, and remember this is one atheist talking to another, he just said, when those planes were flown into the Twin Towers, that was evil. And and there was a silence because everybody knew what David Starkey had just said was absolutely correct. There is evil. Sin cuts us off from God. Sin would keep us out of heaven. Sin... Sin would condemn us to hell, and yet Christ has suffered, and he has died for our sin. He has died so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And so here is Christ speaking to the disciples for the very last time, and he says, look, I want you to understand all of the scriptures, all that I am about is about the fact I've suffered I've carried the sin of the world. Then secondly, he spoke about his resurrection. Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. In all the history of the world, there's never been a greater victory than this. Jesus coming, dying, buried. And three days later, the stone of that tomb rolled away, not so much to let out Jesus, but to let us look in and see that he's, he's, he's risen, he's alive, he's conquered the great conqueror death. I have a friend in, in Sheffield, his name is Andy Todd, he's, he's an illusionist. He, he's an amazing woman, I, he, he regularly cuts his wife in half, and yet a she appears the next week for the same thing to happen again. You think she'd learn the lesson. I, I, I've seen him actually put a sword through her head, and yet she survives, so there we are. But he is an illusionist. He's not a magician. He, he stresses that. If you want to look at his website, www.illusion, then the number two, reality.com. Fascinating guy. And I've seen him do his, his tricks, his illusion, and they, they leave me wide-eyed. And, and when he's sort of shown us all these spectacular things and he wants to say, how did you do that? He then goes on to demonstrate very powerfully how the resurrection of Jesus could not have been illusion it really is reality so much historical evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead he had a body after he'd risen that was different from the one before he was crucified he speaks about this body of mine with flesh and bones but he doesn't mention blood of course that was poured out on the cross it was a body that could appear and disappear it was a body that was at home on earth but was going to be at home in heaven as well Christ defeated death. Such is his power, he rose from the dead. It's interesting, all through the Bible, whenever there's a great work of God, whether it's in creating the world, whether it's in Jesus' birth or baptism, etc., you find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each at work. And with regard to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we read that the Father raised him back to life. We read the Holy Spirit raised him back to life. And in John's Gospel, chapter 2, he said, destroy this body, and in three days... I will raise it back to life. This great work of God 
Jesus dies for sin. He's buried and then he rises from the dead. And then he speaks to the disciples and says, now, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in my name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what does God want of us? He wants every Christian, every person who has come to that moment in his or her life, as we've heard tonight, where they've asked Jesus to forgive them and live within them, he wants us to be involved in going and proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is God's agenda to change the world. Does that mean I'm not to be kind to people? No, of course I'll be kind. Does it mean we're not to go out and do good deeds? Of course we'll do good deeds. But God's priority in his agenda for the world is that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. It is the most important thing to be passed on to every individual of every generation. Repentance. That's our part. Repentance is a voluntary change of mind that turns us, the sinful person, from our sin to Jesus. It was the central message of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was preparing the way for the coming of Christ. He said, repent. When Jesus began his ministry, he began by preaching, repent. Peter, at the day of Pentecost, the first great Christian sermon where 3,000 people were converted and baptized, he said, repent. The apostle Paul travels the world and he urges people to repent. It, It doesn't It doesn't just mean remorse. It's not just saying sorry. It's not, as it were, eating humble pie. It's acknowledging that we have, as it were, been born with our face against God, but we need to turn from that direction to God. Let me tell you a story. I I don't know what you'll make of this, but I think it illustrates it very powerfully. It concerns an incident in the First World War where a widow who'd already lost her husband in battle, heard the terrible news that her only child, a son, had also died in the war. She was distraught. You can imagine, can't you, something of the hurt. But there was also bitterness because her next-door neighbour had five sons, as well as her husband, and none of them, none of them at all, were injured in the war. And, and, and the grief and it was so terribly severe. One night... She had a dream. And in the dream, an angel stood before her and said, you can have your son back just for 10 minutes. Which 10 minutes do you you choose? You can have him perhaps as a little baby or as a dirty-faced little boy being playing out or a schoolboy who's just starting excitedly going to school or a student completing high school or maybe as a young soldier marching off to war. And in the dream, this mother thought thought for a few moments, and then she said, no, it's none of those. Let me have him back, she said. When, as a little boy, in a moment of real anger, he clenched his fists and shook them at me and said, I hate you, I hate you. And then continuing to address the angel, she said, but in a little while, his anger subsided and he came back to me his dirty face stained with the tear marks. And he put his arm around me and said, Mummy, Mummy, I'm really sorry. I was so naughty, I'm sorry. I promised never to be bad again and I love you with all my heart. She said to the angel, let me have him back then. I never loved him more than at that moment when he changed his attitude 
and he came back to me. Do you know, in our cynical age, where we're bombarded at school and from the media and from just conversation with cynicism and a sort of view that sees Christianity as an anachronism of the medieval years that we've now been able to shake off and we've pushed God to the edge of the plate of our lives, keeping him at a convenient distance and so often daring to defy him by the things we say, the way we live, the things we do. Do you know what he wants? He wants that we repent. We come back to this God of infinite love who will welcome us back on the basis that Jesus has paid for our sin and that he's risen from the dead. Jesus said, this is my agenda, that repentance and then forgiveness of sins be proclaimed to all nations. I have in my office, oh, it's not much of an office, don't get a grand impression, but uh, I have a lovely picture, and um, it's simply called The Sinner. It hangs in Bath City Art Gallery, and it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And it shows a woman in her 20s, and the artist is brilliant. She's wearing a, a wide-flowing sort of dress. And, and of course, it's, it's very wide as it's touching the surface of the ground. But as it comes towards it, it sort of points to her face. And she's standing next to a Roman Catholic confessional grill. And guilt, brilliantly painted, portrayed, is written across her face. And you're sort of drawn to see this guilty look. I love the picture. But confessing to any other human being, be it a vicar, a so-called priest, pastor, a friend, does not bring forgiveness. And as we heard so clearly from the testimonies earlier, even doing our best, trying our hardest, trying to be good and doing good, that doesn't bring forgiveness. There is no other way whereby you and I can be forgiven and brought to know God except through Jesus' death and resurrection. As we repent, that's our part, God forgives. That's his part. And this gospel is for all. Going to all nations, says Jesus, beginning at Jerusalem. And then finally, Jesus spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. It's interesting. We get the triune God here. We get the promise of the Father. We get the plans of the Son, because he's describing exactly what's going to, get, going to happen. And we get the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high. But you see, when a person trusts Jesus Christ, it isn't just joining a club. It is, yes, turning from sin, receiving forgiveness, but God himself, by his Holy Spirit, comes to live within. And he changes the way we think and speak and act and react. He turns us inside out. He turns us upside down. He gives his life within our very being. We become his. And those who are baptized tonight... We're being baptized not to become Christians, but to say to everyone, I have become a Christian. 
My sins have been washed away. I've died to my old life. I've risen in newness of life and God is living within me. I often regard baptism as a sort of badge of believing. It's saying to everyone, I want you to notice something outward I'm doing now is actually a symbol of something inward that has happened as I've trusted Christ as my Lord and my Saviour. So God's agenda for our world and until Jesus comes back and the affairs of this world are wound up, that is his agenda. That we focus on Jesus' suffering. He died for you and me because he loves us. He gave himself and carried our sin. He, he rose from the dead. This is a risen, living Christ. He commands all people everywhere to repent. And as we turn from our sin and trust him, he forgives us and comes to live within us. Do you know what we do with Jesus matters for all eternity? We don't just have three score years and ten, if we're lucky, but there is an endless existence. Death is but the gateway to life eternal, either with the Lord or cut off from him forever. None of us, nobody here deserves heaven. But heaven is not a reward to be earned. It's a gift to be received. Could I ask you then on this wonderful evening service, has there ever come a moment in your life when you know deliberately and definitely you turn from your sin and you receive Jesus? Has that ever happened to you? And if not, may I very lovingly Ask, why not? And if not, why not tonight? Now, somebody might say, oh, Roger, I, I, I don't know that I'm ready. I understand what you're saying, but I don't know that I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior and start to follow him. Well, for you, I, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The church regularly runs a course called Christianity Explored. And I think you should have all received um, uh, an invitation to it when you got this real lives brochure. Inside there is this Christianity Explored course. And we'd love you to say, okay, tell me about it when it starts. It's starting again at the end of April. Put your name, address or email or whatever. And they'll get in touch with you. It starts with food. That's why they're asking about dietary requirements. You can just put, if you want there, I am always hungry. And that'll be fine. And, um, and then just nearer the time, there'll be a reminder. And it's a course going over a few weeks, digging into Mark's gospel. So you have some food, you chatter away, and then you look into Mark's gospel and try to answer the questions that you may have. If you want to just sit silently, you can. But it's digging in to see what Jesus said. And you'll find how relevant, how pertinent he is and how truthful he is. Now, if you don't enjoy the first time, you don't need to come back. But my experience is once people go once, they keep going. They love it. It's a great course. I know it well and I wholeheartedly commend it. So you might feel, well, I just want to read the, the Gospels as an adult and see what Jesus really is all about. Or no, I want to find out a little bit more. I'd like to I'd like to enroll for that Christianity Explored course. At least put my name down and I'll get the information nearer the time. But it may just be that you think, yes, when you ask Roger, why not tonight? However I came into this church, I would love to leave as somebody who knows that my sin is forgiven, 
I've repented, I've believed, I've trusted in the Jesus who died, suffering for me and rose triumphantly from the dead. I would like to close my little part of this service by praying a prayer very similar to the one that I've no doubt these nine people prayed, and certainly I prayed, a prayer of deliberate, definite repentance and faith of trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Saviour. And I'm going to encourage everyone here, whether the youngest or the very oldest, those who are regulars, those who have never been to this church or another church before, if you know that you need to get right with God, I'm going to encourage you, urge you, plead with you to pray this prayer with me, echoing it, not out loud, but in your mind and heart as a prayer to God, saying, yes, from this day on, Christ is going to be my Lord and my Saviour. There is no more important decision than what you do with God, whether you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour or you walk out on him. Christ, about to ascend, says, this is my agenda. This is what it's all about. We need to repent and receive forgiveness on the basis of Christ's suffering and his resurrection. So, Would you pray with me? Would you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour? A a closing prayer. I'll pray this prayer slowly so that you can make it yours. Dear God, you know everything there is to know about me. So I want to say I am sorry for my sin. With your help, I want to turn from it. I do believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. Please forgive me. Come and live within me. Become my Lord, my Saviour, and help me to follow you. And enjoy you not only in life, but throughout eternity. Thank you for hearing this prayer, which I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, may I just say, if you prayed like that with me, would you come either to the vicar, Paul, or come to me, I'll be in the foyer back there, and just say something like, Roger, Paul, I prayed that prayer tonight, and... We'll have this little booklet, it's called Trusting Christ, which has a similar prayer in it, and then some tips about how to start growing to become mature and strong as a Christian. I think you'd find that helpful. So if you just come to one of us and say, I prayed with you tonight, we'd like to give you one of these, and then I really do recommend um, get involved with Christianity Explored, start hearing the word of God, and you'll find that God will bless you immensely as you know him, and know him not just for time, but throughout all eternity. God bless you.